And now it is time for News with My Dad, a show where we talk about the news with my dad. Coming at you live, the star of our show, playing the role of my dad, is in fact my dad, Joe Smith. Pop, how you doing? Well, I, if I fall asleep, forgive me, but I was up till after 1230 seeing what was happening in downtown Portland. <laughs> You can't start the show by saying you might fall asleep. I didn't. I haven't gone to bed prior, before twelve thirty. I don't know when. <laughs> this is a show we talk about the news. We try to talk about the important stuff. Sometimes we talk about the unimportant stuff. When it's unimportant, we try to say so. We take turns. Dad typically takes the first turn. Pop, do you have a shout out? I have two shout outs. First, I want to shout out for Ruhel Islam who is the owner and proprietor of the Gandhi Mahal restaurant in Minneapolis, whose store, whose, whose restaurant was attacked and trashed, and his water, daughter was very upset about it, and he said publicly, he said, listen, we can rebuild a building, but we cannot rebuild a life. And I am supporting the protesters who are protesting not just the senseless death of Floyd George, George Floyd rather, but but the whole fact of prejudice against people of color. I think that is just so neat for him to, to say that, looking at the loss, we can rebuild a building, but we can't rebuild a life. And then I want to shout out for Florida Congresswoman Val Demings, who said to my brothers and sisters, and the important thing about this is she is a former cop, a former police chief. She said to my brothers and sisters in blue, what in the hell are you doing? Calling attention to the fact that where leadership may be needed the most right now is from police unions. And for, for police unions to recognize that when they just reflexively, knee-jerk, protect uh, bad actors who are obviously bad actors, they're hurting everybody. They're just hurting everybody. We need le- real leadership from police unions, starting in Portland, Oregon. Well, Dad, we ought to start up top with that top story, which is, in fact, protests erupting for a sixth day around the United States over pr- police brutality, over the death of, or at least triggered by, the death of and the video of the murder of George Floyd, an unarmed black man. At least 40 cities, I, I, until there is a, until there is a resolution in the case, I should say alleged murder, the video of what was obvious, you know, death obviously at the hands of a police officer. There have now been murder charges. At least 40 cities have imposed curfews. Uh, most of those curfews were broken. National Guard members have been activated in at least 26 states and in Washington, D.C. The President of the United States turned off the lights and hid in the basement. The former officer was seen with his knee on Floyd's neck, was charged with third degree murder and manslaughter. And, Dad, the other piece of news here is that the Attorney General. Uh, Elson of of Minnesota has taken on the prosecution. I'm actually going to ask you about that, uh, but it, just get your your thoughts about that. I've got a few. Uh, in Portland, several thousand demonstrators marched peacefully until about 11:30 p.m. and some protesters began to throw projectiles at officers. This has been sort of the 
the arc of this thing is peaceful protest and gets until it gets about to midnight. At least uh, 12 adults were arrested, two juveniles were detained. Mayor Wheeler has announced another uh, press conference this morning to address Portland's third night of protests. Pop, you have reflections. I want to let's start with the national piece and then let's go to the local piece. It did seem it does seem important to me. And I'll say because when I first saw the complaint against George Floyd and it referenced the uh, there are a couple of things in that complaint that made me nervous that the district attorney in Hennepin County was going to be positioning himself to protect his longtime allies, of course, the police, district, district attorneys and uh, and police have to work closely together on cases. It can be hard for a district attorney to prosecute and convict an officer that when he knows that the district attorney is going to need to be working with those officers in the future, switching it to the attorney general's office seemed important. You were a district attorney. Am I making uh, too much of a mountain out of more of a molehill? No, as a matter of fact, it's something I've often observed that the most, the most important constituency a district attorney has is the police. That is the, those are the folks that he's working with all of the time, that he sees every day, that, that are counting on him to carry forth, go ahead with the work that they get started. And for that reason, I supported. Matter of fact, I, when I was in the le- briefly in the legislature, I submitted a bill that would require the attorney general's office to be automatically assigned any police homicide and any death caused by police so that the to, to the attorney general so that the attorney general who would not have that close relationship with the local police department wouldn't have to address that could more objectively and also very important that in a place like Oregon, where police homicides are rare, in in all the time I was DA, there was one, and I confess I was not particularly competent at dealing with it. There was no racial overtone in that one, but but it would have been very good to have somebody who was doing it with some regularity and who would know all the ins and outs of what ought to be to be done. So I I. I introduced a bill, and I still hope that sometime that bill will pass so that the AG will automatically be given that responsibility. And, and you, have to, you have to wonder what would have happened had there been an immediate arrest, at least of the cop with the knee, but ideally if there had been an immediate arrest of all four, would this, what we are seeing actual breakdown, nationally breakdown of public order happened, we of course can never know. It's, I think about how they're dealing with it. I dealt with it in Minneapolis. And now, of course, this is protest, not only in the United States, but now yeah, it's in, in, Berlin, in Paris and in London. And Denmark, I think two other countries that I read, the uh, that had the typical Portland timeline in cases, heck, that Joanne Hardesty, who we had the chance to interview, and by the way, thanks to the texter, the text says, wow, thanks to the interview with Commissioner Hardesty, needed help with the recent events, and now I feel like reason lives. Thanks, Ambush and Jefferson. We needed help, too. We needed help that reason lives. Boy, howdy. And that 
And as we've been, Dad, as you and I have been doing this, and we've been doing this now for like six years, how'd that happen? We have been talking about, on an intermittent basis, not just what's been happening in Minneapolis, but what has happened here in Portland, Oregon. And I will tell you that there have been, it has taken longer than several days to make firings or, or arrests in those officer-involved shootings in the United States, in Portland, Oregon. And so, but I do think this will, I think, spark a conversation, has already sparked it, might lead to the change around the country to make sure that there is really prompt action when it comes to clear evidence that could be actionable, that somebody wouldn't, you know, somebody who was not wearing a uniform wouldn't last the night prior to being arrested or detained. Uh, and I do think the timeline is a, a important piece of the story. People might remember Keith Ellison, by the way. Keith Ellison ran for and was the Bernie Sanders and Chuck Schumer uh, pick to be the head of the Democratic National Committee, former member of Congress, uh, lost that race for head of the DNC to Tom Perez, uh, ended up getting accused uh, and then uh, and then exonerated o- around uh, domestic abuse uh, accusation by his former girlfriend. They ended up running and winning, uh, su- running successfully to be attorney general of Minnesota is now is back in the national spotlight. Dad, other reflections. I went by and the uh, and I was actually very heartened by how you opened the show today because I went by uh, downtown and I saw, you know, I saw the burned out husk of a car and what struck me actually was the sounds of downtown. I, I don't suspect you went downtown this weekend, but if you went down on Saturday, the whole, it, it, the whole downtown was a small scale, it was sort of a large footprint, small scale construction site. And what I mean by that is what you heard were the sounds of rivets, the sounds of hammers and nails, the sounds of buzz saws, and the sounds of power washers cleaning off, boarding up, board, cleaning up and boarding up. Yep. Cleaning up graffiti and boarding up it, and, and just all the way down the streets, you know, all of the really, all of the really busy uh, streets downtown. It was quite a scene. And you, th- there have been not many things that have triggered you more yet, since I've known you, which is m- my lifetime than graffiti. I mean, it just drives you nuts. You get real mad about the graffiti. And I was worried this morning that you'd be madder about the graffiti. And the question I was planning to ask you is, Dad, are you madder about the graffiti or are you madder about institutional racism and brutality of black men? That was a question I was prepared to ask you. But though I really appreciate the way you opened the show today. It seems like you are more angry about and, and more motivated to bend the arc of history towards justice than you are about graffiti. Is that a fair? Is, is that I, a f- I certainly am. Okay. And of course, the, the, the awful thing about the reflection, one of my reflections is this this is this gives an opportunity for the the small number of folks on the far side the far out the far left and the far right who the anarchists who really want most to see society break down who really are just mad and and could care less about what happened to George Floyd but who see this as an opportunity to bring havoc to society that's that's what they want to do and then also the small number of folks who see this as an opportunity to break store windows and get in and steal stuff just loot 
gives them that opportunity. One of my reflections, at 8 o'clock curfew, this is, I can't say this is hindsight because this is my opinion before last night. At 8 o'clock Too curfew, early? When, when the sun doesn't set till nearly 9 o'clock, is dumb. <laughs> you should, if you're going to have a curfew, the curfew should be something like 1130. And so all those. I dig ten. I dig ten. I I was actually thinking ten a ten o'clock curfew, even a nine thirty curfew. Just doing it around the time when the sun's going down. Well, but the reason the reason last night the folks who marched from starting out from Laurelhurst Park, and who by the time they reached downtown, I don't know if anybody is going to try to make a scientific count, but but I've just run run a figure. What what we know because we watched. That march was well over one mile long. Now, a mile is 1,700 and some yards. And so let's say the march was 2,000 yards, which is, which is conservative. I think it was longer than that. Let's say it was 2,000 yards. And if there were just 30 people every 10 yards, and I think it's probably there were more than 30 people every 10 yards because there wasn't a whole lot of social distancing going on, that would be at least 6,000 people. And those 6,000 people weren't going to get downtown till after 8. So if, so if you had a curfew about 1130 and you made it very clear to those folks, 1130, and then also recognizing that they were going to go to the Justice Center, and the Justice Center is, is configured in such a way that, it would, that there's a natural balcony from which people could speak. And if you already had quickly see them coming you would have time to to get a good sound system set up so to invite people to speak and then make it clear this is going to go on about 11 o'clock folks but 11 30 there's a curfew so we all got to be out of here by 11 30 and then enforce that curfew at 11 30 that would seem to me a much more sensible way to proceed than than trying to than putting a eight eight o'clock curfew. i don't know all the which elements absolutely which is absolutely going to be flouted and, and rendered r- rendered ridiculous, which it was. I think that they, I, I want to, it might actually be worth talking to, we had a chance to talk to Commissioner Hardesty, obviously, and might talk to a couple others. My guess is there's thought that, obviously there's thought that goes into it. Here's some, what I will offer is speculation. Uh, the one is that the curfew, I think, is not primarily, or at least not merely meant for those who are at the focus of a protest. I think it is also meant so the whole city calms down so that attention can be paid to the protest. It's not just so that officers don't have to deal with a march. It's so that officers don't have to deal with as many other things away from the march. And I think that's why, and that's the argument for doing it earlier rather than later. Uh, Also, if you do it really late, then a lot of the uh, then then you are also encouraging a bunch of stuff to happen in the dark. And when it starts getting dark and it starts getting later, that's when we see stuff getting a little nuttier. I do want to reply to this text. What about the agent provocateur starting the window breaking, and will they be dealt with at all? This asked Marcy. Thank you, Marcy, so much. Uh, I think that there will, you know, there there are some arrests being made. I hope that after the arrests made, this is all still pretty early. I hope that after the uh, the folks have been booked, we will learn a little bit more about where folks are from. Maybe what maybe we'll make some inferences. Maybe we we'll have direct evidence over what their uh, over what their uh, motives are. But I do think, Marcy, I do think we are having a moment where we have to get 
we have to recognize in the social media era, in this Asian provocateur era, we saw that we saw in Minneapolis the video of the guy walking down the white dude wearing an umbrella, walking down the street, right? You know, breaking the windows with a hammer. He wasn't part of any peaceful protest. He wasn't. And there, there was there was another guy in Atlanta, who a white guy, uh, mid twenties probably, that uh, had had a skateboard and was using his skateboard to destroy the glass at the CNN headquarters. And I just, I hope CNN finds that guy and find, because my, I'd be willing to bet that that guy was a provocateur who could care less about racial justice. He saw that as or Or worse, or worse, could care in the wrong way. Oh, right. exactly like the, the and this exactly. was this was who, joanne's who comment and was attacking cnn because he saw them as being on the wrong side of the issue this is joanne's speculation that uh, that a lot of what we're seeing is white supremacists and let's be really clear this is not crazy speculation this is not anything new this has been happening heck the fbi was doing this was infiltrating the naacp in the 50s this is uh, the, uh, in, and then investigating Martin Luther King. I mean, there has been rooted in white supremacy, trying to keep folks down and trying to infiltrate uh, social change movements to discredit them. That is not new. That's not a new strategy. And one of the things that was so important, remember the uh, and remember the uh, uh, and remember the Watts riots, the uh that when the Watts riots happened, was that 19, uh, Watts riots, 1965? Do I have that year right? Yep. Uh, that after the Watts riots, that it took then later, then later into the 60s, more, uh, more and more coordinated, organized movements and innovations in how peaceful protest was done. And as we talked about in our interview with Joel, I'll keep citing it, but the when we were talking about how important it is to have protests where you then go with friends, where you know the organizers, where you understand the motives of the organizers and the organizers have a good strategy for the protest. I think I am not only hopeful, I'm even predicting that there will be more leadership that emerges from this uh, national response. I mean, remember how big a deal Ferguson was, right? Well, this is Ferguson in cities all across the country. Right. The similar actions that happened in Ferguson are now happening all over the country, recognizing that it was not limited just to Ferguson. And I am hopeful that we'll get smarter and smarter movements and recognizing that one part of being a smarter movement is to identify who might be there, who is not on your team, who is trying to make your team look bad. And and to police, to police ourselves when we are protesting, we need to police ourselves. We need to be looking for those. I have to say, for example, I I am a little suspicious of young white dudes with backpacks that protest. Why why do they need a backpack? What's in the backpack? Is that something to throw? But I'm really suspicious of anybody wearing a balaclava. Boy, am I ever! And, yeah, if, if it looks like when, a mask, when, you, if when you look, I look at the way the way police just just thinking about how, how you how to deal with last night where the protest was. Had some organization, some some organization for the folks from Lowhurst, but where it would seem to me that the, the sensible thing to do is to concede the streets, concede the streets and guard the storefronts. Yeah, I'm I, I most deploy deploy your resources to to protect the storefronts and give them the streets, 
and, and the reason I say a, a later curfew is that have a later curfew and then also have a sound system where people can really sound off. So at some point, somebody can say, folks, this has been a wonderful thing. Let's go home now. There's gonna, the curfew is going to happen. Let's go home now and show the world, show the world that our town can protest peacefully and recognize that we're going to make things change, not by destroying, but by creating. And there was one really hopeful thing, and I hope it gets national attention, and that was when the kneel down happened yesterday afternoon. No, see, this is smart. This, this is smart activism. Dad, this is an example of really smart activism. I don't want to steal your thunder. Tell the story. Well, the, the story is that that the police lined up in front of the justice center, and and somebody said, "If you, you've got to work with us," and and the police knelt down, and people came up and shook their hands and hugged them and said, "Thank you." It was just a beautiful thing. Yeah, there was a group about 100, 150 protesters. Uh, different, you know, separate from another uh, another rally that was going on, and when they and, and they were uh, in the and they were in the street and they're being asked to leave the street, and they said essentially, you know, if you will if you will kneel, if you will protest with us for a moment, uh, then we will will comply with anything you ask. And sure enough, that's what happened. And so now you have these images of the police officers kneeling down. Imagine, imagine if three years ago. Four years. If imagine at the time that Colin Kaepernick was kneeling down at football games, if inst- if instead of a president say, you know trying to use uh, dog whistles to uh, to decry black athletes, but instead it said, yes, we all need to kneel down. What if they, what if there what if there had been be. what if there had been police officers around the country who'd done that very thing? Imagine the cultural impact that would have had. Imagine the impact. Imagine that right now anybody who's complaining about some spray paint and bl- broken windows, think back three or four years ago, n- ain't none of this happened if that kind of reaction had happened across the countries. Uh, the uh, so, Marcy. Again, there's no evidence these provocateurs have been arrested yet. Marcy, I share your concern. I share your concern. And one of my and and one of my questions I didn't need to ask when I was talking to Joanne because she gave I think her best answer uh, was how are we going to deal with it going forward? And I don't know. I mean, if if you're there, and one of my big worries about going into this, and then I want to finish this segment. I want to finish this part by putting the focus where I hope we will keep the focus, uh, which is not on. You know, some spray paint, broken windows. But actually, how do we bend the arc of history toward justice? That's where I hope we will maintain our the, the bulk of our attention. But as soon as this started, ha- as soon as I realized this was happening, and we were in an era where wearing masks, and Dad, you all, you've been nervous about protesters wearing masks for a long time. That if you want to, that your argument has been, listen, if you want to show courage, if the purpose that what what real activism takes is courage, and if you want to show courage. You show your face and you and you be counted and you demonstrate that you are alongside people and that you bring your full humanity and your full identity to that protest. And you've made that case, heck, since we've been doing this. And now, though, you're supposed to wear a mask. And that's been <laughs> and that's been concerning me a bunch. And I am worried that the that these folks, I mean, and, and some, but I am heartened. I'm still heartened by some things. I'm heartened the news media is a little bit smarter. Last time we were dealing with this stuff, last time, and it wasn't all that long ago, right? Greg McKelvey was leading the Portland resistance right after the Trump election. We're having similar, uh, similar, you know, proper, uh, similar, you know, property damage, a little bit lower, uh, a little bit lower scale. 
so much of the attention, all the attention, a lot of it was on Greg and a lot of it was on, uh, you know, some property damage. And, and the Reuters were like, hey, don't put, the, don't put all the attention on the property damage. And now I'm watching even cable news and they're dividing. Listen, there are protesters and there's some vandals. And even the news media doing a little bit better job of separating those things. So I think we are learning, and it's going to require movements to get smarter and smarter. And Joanne's advice was go to protests where you know the organizers, go to protests where you can trust the people who are doing it. And then my note, it is a note, it is not an admonition, it is not even a criticism. My note to protest organizers is all of us need to get smarter and smarter and smarter so that we can lead movements that people look at, the people who are outside the movement looking in, see, that is a movement that I want in charge. That They are the people who are doing the right thing. Those are the people I want to follow. They have the moral authority. Those are the people to whom I want to listen. And let's have smarter and smarter movements to do that. And to me, where we've got to finish this, Dad, I'll give you the last word. But where I hope we keep the focus is again not on not on some property damage as you said as you started this off pop buildings can be rebuilt you cannot replace a human life dad you got a last thought on this deal won't be a last thought we're gonna be talking about this for a while a great quote that the police should all hear was a woman who said how do you call the cops on the cops yeah. Yeah. Here's some organizations. If you want to help some organizations that are fighting systemic racism, uh, you can support organizations like the Portland NAACP, the Urban League of Portland, Kairos PDX, uh, the Black Lives Matter Portland chapter, Generational Resistance PDX, Don't Shoot Portland. Uh, the uh, You can also donate to the GoFundMe for PDX protest bail fund. Uh, the uh, What else I want to shout out? Oh, and be prepared for safe protests. And this this is related. We got it. We got a text. What about all the people who are going to be infected with coronavirus? Because the, heck, yes. Doesn't that have us concerned? And we already are seeing a bigger impact among people of color, uh, and certainly in urban communities uh, of the coronavirus well, and you, frontline you, you workers. You wonder how many people are going to wind up sick all over the. Country. Oh yeah, I, 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 I've got <laughs> they I've got were that shoulder to shoulder and face to face. Yeah, my only hope is the fact that it was outside. Uh, and the fact that some people are wearing masks, my only hope is that we are doing is that it a bunch and that and that we are seeing you know, more of the impact on people's underlying health conditions. My only hope is we won't have a bunch of people that died from that. Uh, but but it doesn't reduce it does not reduce the uh, the moral importance of what was happening. In fact, that it was happening in the context of personal risk. If real activism takes courage, then. It, it makes me believe you more, right? I'm not saying self-immolate yourself, right? But I am saying let's keep the focus where the focus needs to be. What the thing that is actually being protested, making sure we bend the arc of history towards justice, making sure. Today, Dad, I don't know if you, I don't know if you, you know what today is the anniversary of? I was going to take a break, but I'm not taking a break right now. Today is CNN's 40th birthday. That's not what I'm talking about, Dad. Today is the anniversary, the 99th, I don't want to call it birthday, 99th death day, the 99th anniversary of the Tulsa race massacre. And the story, and something that was lost largely to history because the Tulsa newspaper ripped out of their bound volumes, removed from it the archive of the stories of it, the, the, the May 31st. Uh, story that sparked it. It start, Do you know the story of the Tulsa? And then, it, and then it was the police archives and the uh, national. Yeah, there, Gu- there was there there was what what probably was just a rumor 
that uh, a, a black man had had uh, attacked a woman and they, they there was a rat killed uh, nobody knows for sure but probably into the three figures the uh, but more and, and even more than that so you have so they arrest this teenager for an allegation of assaulting this a young woman and by the way he ends up getting not only acquitted, they dropped the charges for lack of evidence and think that she, she was just startled. What they heard, they heard like a, they went in the elevator together, the elevator opened and she ran out. They, they heard there was reports of them hearing a yell and then she ran out of the elevator. Okay. He gets arrested. He gets put in jail. The, uh, they start getting rumors of a lynching. Uh, 75 armed black men show up at the uh, at the it starts with 25 and then they're told to leave and then 75 come back to protect him because there's rumors of a lynching. And this is in Greenwood in the Greenwood neighborhoods in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a population of 100,000. Greenwood had the Greenwood neighbor had 10,000 people almost entirely. Uh, it was almost all black neighborhood. And it was a prosperous time it was a prosperous neighborhood. They called it Black Wall Street. They then uh, uh, there is then the story in the. Uh, in the troop in, in the newspaper, the Tulsa newspaper, that there is and starts to be rumors around. There's going to be some sort of some sort of race war, some sort of race riot, and thousands and thousands of white people wake up on the morning of June first and start burning down all of the black businesses and the black homes. Dad, they built they burned down over twelve hundred and fifty homes. There's no good count of how many lives were lost. There, well, there, there's you might be able to trust the count of 10 white people's lives lost, but the but there is nobody who trusts the numbers. Uh, the numbers are somewhere into the hundreds. The lo, the low count right afterwards. Well, it might have been 36, but they weren't keeping that count. And the fire department was told not to go in and rescue those businesses, not going to rescue those homes uh, at threat of gunpoint. And so everything there's just Greenwood burned and this and this beacon of black culture. In 1921, 99 years ago today, was burned to the ground. And then the history was burned to the ground. And so what I, as any of us decry some broken windows or graffiti, let us remember the historic context, the historical context that any protester is engaged in. And that, I hope, is where we will keep the, uh, that's where I hope we will keep the focus here a couple of texts appreciate the interview with joanne hardesty and her suggestion that x-ray can help educate the public we need to know who organizes protests and their purpose yeah i, I do think again we do need smart movements uh another one about the coronavirus we can't blame the protesters the violence of the protests does not outweigh the actual violence and and murder of what they are protesting and i've even heard good uh, good suggestions to, uh, for us to be careful using the word violence when what we're talking about is property damage violence against human being understood but violence kept you know damaging property maybe that's something different than violence maybe that's maybe that's damaging property not condoning and not encouraging it but we might want to differentiate it from the loss of life even if it's agitators who lit the police building on fire it's not anywhere as violent as seeing another innocent man murdered because of the color of his skin dad last word well, I've, I, I had my last word, oh, except as we change other subjects, there, there was a, a real high yesterday also. Uh, I don't yesterday and the day before. And I, I think you watched it. I, I think you, I, I definitely know that you watched the launch. I don't know if you watched the docking. But it was, it was really, really something for me to watch that c- combined effort of Private capital and government folk sending 
two of our guys successfully to the space station. And it was just a, a marvelous thing to watch. Yeah, no, a few decades ago, that would have captured the attention of the whole country. Now, <laughs> captured the attention of the whole country for several minutes. Uh, some lessons, some lessons on some advice. This actually advice from uh, from Alexander Ocasio-Cortez uh, for safe protest. One, look out for things that don't seem right. Increasing reports and investigations that white supremacists may be infiltrating the protests. If anything seems off to you, document it and always check who is organizing. And it says, second, follow the directions of grassroots black organizers. They've been at this a long time. They're disciplined in the ropes of community organizing and demonstration. Follow trusted leaders whose goal has been the focused pursuit of justice. Third, have a buddy. Make sure someone is keeping an eye on you and that you have an eye on them. And fourth, stay safe. Take care of each other. Pop, let's take a very quick break. We'll be back. There's other news. It's hard to imagine there could be other news, but there is there's other, other news. news. Yes, I got some international stuff, a lot of virus stuff, a lot of DDT stuff, lots of stuff to cover yet. And the Oregonian reporting, and I do take some note that it is the Oregonian reporting it, that Biden's approach to protest is a contrast with Trump's. Uh, Joe Biden has uh, has taken a knee, has worn a mask, and the president of the United States is hidden in his basement with the lights off. But tweeting, always tweeting, and we should perhaps mention the fact that that uh, should we go on? Well, go on. This guy, this guy spends so much time tweeting. It's, it's just astounding that his backers don't start asking, when is he going to govern? Yeah, he's got a different objective. He's got a, he's got a different strategy, different motivations for being, uh, for being the president. We should say something about the pandemic. Health experts do fear that the massive protests against police brutality could result in new outbreaks. 1.7 million people have been tested, nearly 140,000. Excuse me, 104,000 people have died. Those are only the confirmed deaths. The mayor of Atlanta, one of dozens of cities shaken by the protests, told demonstrators, if you're out protesting last night, you probably need to get a COVID test this week. There is still a pandemic in America that is killing black and brown people at higher numbers. On Thursday, the Minneapolis Health Commissioner warned protesters to be mindful of the risk, said that large demonstrations could very predictably accelerate the spread. And Donald Trump Dad, his response was to label Antifa, or, or an organization that is not an organization, to be a terror organization, by, while saying nothing about white supremacy or the need to address police brutality. Yep. While we're talking about the virus, uh, a Yale study strongly suggests that we actually hit 100,000 sometime before the 9th of May. Of if uh, If we have a vaccine by Christmas, which... Is a, is a very optimistic thing, but but a, a poll t- taken that only 51% of Americans say they for sure would take the vaccine, and there's 30 some percent who say they probably wouldn't. That certainly is something that needs to be addressed. The uh, we the mystery outbreak here that the state didn't want to tell us about. They finally decide. Well, I guess we should let folks know. There was two sites of the Townsend Farms fruit growers. Uh, and the state has said, well, we're not going to try to keep that kind of secret stuff secret anymore. 
a report in Live Science, study in Life Science, says that it in the in the researchers' results said that more likely than the virus really starting in a big way from a wet wet animal store in Wuhan was from a super super spreader, and and it, boy, if you just think. If there if there are just a few super spreaders in the, all of the, all of those protests around the country, whoa, it's going to be Katie Barr. That is a super spreader. Somebody who has like a worse case, or somebody who just interacts with more people. Yes. All right. And and uh, and likely is not yet showing serious. Uh, symptoms themselves. Yeah, people don't. They're not coughing, so people don't avoid them, and they're not yeah, well, coughing, they, so they don't avoid they, other people. They, they may have started coughing. They may have started coughing, but but uh, they think maybe it's just allergies. Just an allergy. The as we're thinking about about uh, the virus. Oh, oh, something I have to mention. I got. I've had two emails. You've had from more than that. The Trump. 2020 masks inviting me, telling me, as a matter of fact, our great leader, it says, this is a quote, our great leader wants you to have a mask. So we have patriot masks, and the patriot masks have things set on front of them, like MAGA and Kaga and Trump, 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 Trump. Guess how much they cost. Oh, I bet they're bargains. I bet their primary motivation is to get masks in, on the faces of people to protect their health. So they're probably, they're probably, if they're not giving away free, I'm sure they're selling them at cost, Ed. You should try again. Okay. One mask, $54. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good price for a mask. $54. Two masks, $99. But bargain, six masks, for just a hundred and nineteen. Wow, Dad, I gotta I gotta share this story because I think this has to bear on the case that's happening in Oregon on um, what the Oregon Supreme Court is up against with the Baker County complaint. This, do you see this Supreme Court decision on the California Church's challenge to the shutdown indeed. order? That was something I wanted to mention. It was five to four with Roberts going with the good guys, telling California. Churches that Newsom's order telling them to shut down was constitutional. I am I am noting now the uh, the position that uh, that John Roberts is now in, and I remember having this same feeling. No, not the same. A related feeling about Senator Day O'Connor. Senator Day O'Connor, who became the swing vote on the Supreme Court, but was notable about that to me, was not something about Senator Day O'Connor, but what that demonstrated about just how conservative the Supreme Court had become. Senator O'Connor got her start as a Republican Party operative. And she got the Supreme Court and she said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, I didn't mean we should go that far. I don't know if we should do all that kind of stuff. And now, and John Roberts had his career as a Federalist Society darling and as one of the more important sort of corporate lawyers, corporate side defense lawyers and uh, in the uh, in the country, I say defense because usually when it's corporation they're on the defense side, not that he only was you know, not the only defense lawyer. 
And the and now he finds himself, I think, you know, I think he has to be going to bed saying, oh, geez, what is this movement rot? What are we doing? Am I going to go down in history as the person who tears down democracy? And so on occasion, and they're coming out with a couple more cases this morning, a couple more decisions tomorrow. morning. I want to see what they are. We'll have to, you know, maybe during a break I can search. But uh, but now John Roberts finds himself as a swing vote on the court, Pop. Which, which reminds me, I just finished reading David Brock's Blinded by the Right. Yeah, you mentioned it. And, and how many names yep. are... Kavanaugh, holy smokes, Barr. They've, they've been at it for a... And, and to be clear, the, the relevance of that, it's not surprising there'd be famous names in a book, but this book was published in 2002. And so, yes. so the... And, and, and it's, all, it's all stuff that happened happened before 2000. So this is you know, a 20-year-old story... But a lot of these names in the judiciary and the Justice Department who have been part of the right-wing apparatus now for a long time. Dad, we're going to have to speed through because we've got, uh, we've got uh, Winsby Campos, who's going to be calling us in about 10 minutes. Uh, right, newly so speeding, speeding through. But, that, I, I, but I do at least need to clarify what that court order was. The Supreme Court turned away a request from a church in California to block enforcement of straight restrictions on attendance at religious services. It does sound hauntingly like the lawsuit that's happening here in Oregon over the governor's order in Baker County that a bunch of churches have joined on to. And here's just, uh, Justice Roberts' opinion. Uh, similar or more severe restrictions re- apply to comparable secular gatherings, including lectures, concerts, movie showings, spectator sports, theatrical performances, where large group of large groups of people gather in close proximity for extended periods of time therefore making the argument this is not a restriction of religion this is just a restriction of people not trying to get a coronavirus and it also applies to churches it also i think is worth mentioning here that uh, despite scotus saying that ddt told the cdc that they had to remove remove the warning the urging in their most recent report to churches to at least be careful about singing and about shouting. And the White House said, nope, can't have that in the report. So, folks, go die. What? And this, this, this in spite of the fact that... You said, what did you say? Folks do what? I, they didn't say that, but in effect they are saying, oh, saying okay. folks, go die. Oh, you're not saying that. Die. Okay. The, the, despite the, the, the classic Washington State case where there was one choir practice that produced 52 sick people and two dead people. Yeah. Dad, this unrest is shaking up the VP shortlist. Don't know that Amy Klobuchar's uh, odds feel... She's hurting. Yeah, don't know if they feel any higher today than they did a week ago. I think they feel significantly lower. Uh, the uh, Benjamin Crump, the attorney who represents the families of Ahmad Arbery, uh, George Floyd, and Breonna Taylor, said that the three successive killings have raised awareness about white supremacy, police brutality, and the need for Biden to pick a black running mate. Amy Klobuchar has been coming under renewed criticism for her complacency while handling a police-related shooting back in 2006. Uh, Kamala Harris's resume as state attorney general, local uh, local prosecutor. Kamala is a cop as a narrative has still been following her. Val Demings, a black woman, 
is a newer perspective running mate. Has yeah, gained. She was somebody that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, and that uh, I, I think she she's looking better and better, particularly with her courage to say to my brothers in blue, "What the hell are you doing?" And I will say, Katie was commenting this weekend that the that this this parade of comment commenters on uh, MSNBC looked like uh, job interviews for the vice presidency. <laughs> when Val Demings came on, when Kamala Harris came on, it's, it, was, it was like, hey, you know, you could pick me. I could be the vice president. We could go, and then maybe I could be the, the Democratic nominee for the presidency, you know, four and a half years from now. Uh, Alicia Gar, and as you mentioned, Val Demings was the first woman to be the police chief of Orlando. She's also been criticized for her use of excessive force. Alicia Garza, the Black Lives Matter co-founder, endorsed endorsed, uh, uh, Elizabeth Warren earlier in the primary because she has the most robust black agenda. Garza noted that picking a VP without a law enforcement background may better ease tensions. Uh, Stacey Abrams, a Biden surrogate, has, uh, has been publicly advocated for her own qualifications for the job. Dad, do you, I know you hate predictions. Go ahead. Something that I think is, is worth people to think about, You there needs to be in the vice presidential pick, there needs to be a, a part of that, that that recognizes the need to move, move much, move, period, towards racial justice. And a good case can be made that a woman who is white, who oh, I'm not sure I'm ready to make that case. I know I, you like you like you like making the Nixon to China case on race. I'm potentially have more influence because it's more likely to be listened ah. to by the people who most needs to listen. I think that's a white guy's argument, Pop. Uh, well, maybe it is. But it, it doesn't make it bad. Yeah, no, I think I think it misses if, if it's a white if it's a white person argument, then you're telling me it should be discounted. Yeah, that's a racist thing to say. No, it isn't. That's not my definition of racism. My race the definition of racism is not understanding things based understanding that race has impact. My definition of racism is bound up in oppression. And my, uh, but I, you know, I think there is undoubtedly undoubtedly uh, enormous value in representation. There's nothing like, there's nothing that Bill Clinton could do for when, when uh, there was in no way that he was the first black president, even though Chris Rock called him as such. And there was nothing that Bill Clinton could do from his position as a white man that would, that would go further to inspire so much, so many people to understand what the nature of leadership can be in the country. There's nothing that a man could do to demonstrate what we need to do to overcome misogyny that outweighs the need for representation. The question I have, that, that's my view, you can disagree with it, but I, 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 don't, I don't think I'm mildly wrong. I do think, of course, that uh, white allies have an enormously important role in talking to white people and making, making one another understand that combating racism, is, uh, as Don Lemon pretty eloquently stated just the other day, uh, is not only the role of people of color. The question I've got in the vice presidency is, of course, there'll be multiple factors. And and to what degree, and, and I think the Alicia Garza example is a really good one, uh, is there, uh, do you get a former law enforcement, you know, Kamala Harris and Val Demings have been two of the highest profile candidates for vice presidency over the last couple of weeks. They both have law enforcement backgrounds. Is it better, is that a better mix 
for both the signal setting and for the work doing than having an Elizabeth Warren who whose agenda was so uh, was so well praised by people who want uh, police reform and people who want uh, to advocate for a broader black agenda. I'm using Alicia Garza's uh, phraseology. I think that's a really interesting. I think that's a really interesting question. And and if if the choice if the choice were narrowed down to Val Demings and Kamala Harris, I would I would bet that you'd go with Val Demings because there's no question that Joe Biden is going to carry California. Florida is another question because there you've got a you've got a. A Republican governor who, by the way, DeSantis has, has probably been lying about the, the figures of actual COVID cases in Florida. And, and having having a, a woman from Florida might help carry the state. And those are serious considerations in picking the vice presidential candidate. Dad, we've got uh, Winsby Campos, who's going to be joining us in just a second. Any big we know that Moscow began easing restrictions uh, we know that uh, we've been talking, of course, about the Portland protests. Any uh, any other big headlines you want to shout out before a straw in the wind? Well, we, while, while we're talking about the virus, apparently there's a really bad outbreak in Iran. Nick, really, Yemen is a horrible situation. Nicaragua never did in, put put uh, in uh, restrictions. And they're really looking at trouble. I want to mention that Israel has apologized for killing the autistic man who who just was running from the police because he was afraid of them. And when we're talking about the virus, high altitude is apparently a good place to be because up in the Andes and up in the Himalayas, nobody is getting sick. And uh, one piece of international news that I do want to, to mention, MBS, the, the de facto governor, ruler of... Saudi Arabia has arrested the sons of Saad al-Jabari. Al-Jabari is in Canada, and who was who a, a, a real counter-terrorist hero for Saudi Arabia. He's arrested two of his sons trying to force him to come back, probably so that he can execute him. Really not, not good. And then last, I want to just talk about the conflict between DDT and Twitter, Mark Shields, because Mark Shields had a wonderful quote Friday night. He said, Donald Trump complaining about Twitter Twitter is like a whale complaining about the ocean. Oh, yes. Right on. Mark Shields, he's a, he's a journalist who was on, uh, he's, he's got to start in the Lair Report, right? Well, he he's on every Friday night with on. Uh, yeah, I just want people to place the name. Uh, the uh, gotta gotta share the information is an important local story. Back in 2016, Kate Brown fired the head of the appointment department. She fired the head of the appointment department because there were concerns about an outdated computer system. Well. Now there are 200,000 people out of about 450,000 people who haven't had their claim responded to. And who Ron Wyden said you need to fire the head of the department, and yesterday Kate did. Ron Wyden got his way. And now, indeed, the employment department will have a new head. 
there's and it reminds me, Dad. W- w- today we don't have the time, but I do. I would like to do some bookings to talk about big governmental computer system projects because ba- I remember back to Jane Cease, our neighbor, uh, with the DMV computer system back in the '90s. Eric Sten with the water who was on my who was on my city league basketball team, and people were criticized. And, and one day, you know, he even said, like, I don't want this anymore. Somebody was, like, making fun of him about the water billing thing in the middle of a basketball game. He's like, well, I don't want to mess with this anymore. Uh, but that was back in 2000. The cover Oregon lawsuits in the aftermath of 2014 to 15, that this, this I don't want to make it just seem like a trend, but it is not an isolated incident of us needing to figure out how to pull off big, computer projects as a government. But, Dad, we should get to a straw in the wind. Before, before we get to a straw oh, in the wind, there fine. are two announcements we need our folks to know. Good try. Oregon campgrounds, folks. There are seven Oregon campgrounds open now. And a week from tomorrow, they will be opening up 33 more that you can get into by advanced registration so you can camping. And then if you've been needing to get to the Department of Motor Vehicles that haven't been able to, you can now get to the Department of Motor Vehicles by appointment. Grab your pencil. If you live in the metro area, the number is 503-299-9999. That's easy to remember, two and six nines. If you're in the Salem area, 503-945-4000. You can get into the DMV by advanced appointment. Well, Bob. Also, at least got to mention that the something we'll be discussing in the coming days. They're resuming the look. Looks like the city is going to start resuming clearing homeless camps. They haven't been doing it for a while. They're going to start again. The question is where they're going to put those human beings. Uh, thank you to everybody for helping out and for giving the helpful text this morning. And Pop, I think it's time for a straw in the wind. And I have a straw. A straw in, in the, the wind. wind. Maybe I should say I hope it's a straw. Mark Zuckerberg has been refusing to address DDT's excesses, and Facebook employees, including senior staff, have gone public and are objecting to his policy. I hope that's a straw in the wind. All right, Bob. Well, we did it again. And we'll be back on Thursday. Love you, lad. Love you, Dan.